and welcome back to Voicecraft. This is a Voicecraft Network production featuring an Elder Circle session, welcoming the general thinker, widely cultured spiritual practitioner, other half to Layman Pascal on the Integral Stage YouTube channel, and highly regarded teacherly authority on integral theory and its history, Bruce Olderman. Joining Bruce are members of the Voicecraft Network, Tom Lyons, Journey Manu, Josh Field, Daniel Garner of OG Rose, Zachary Fishman and myself, Tim Adeline. This is a profound journey into the deep meaning, crisis and hope of elderhood in our time, grounded in a life's journey of spiritual seeking and realization. You'll hear about what the Elder Circle session entails in a moment. Here we go. Delighted to be back here with you all for this Elder Circle session. And in some important respect, it's an opportunity for many to be in relation with an invited one for the purpose of drawing forth the lived and living journey that they are. Particularly with respect to the, the learnings and insight that are afforded through moving through an ordeal, whether life in general or creative in nature, arduous in nature, transformative. And this can happen, you know, at any age. And the hope is with these sessions is that there's sort of a developed praxis that enables something of a learning experience, not only for all of us in relation, but also for whoever it is that's invited to be the one in the center, because it's an opportunity to craft some voice in relationship to that context and to maybe crystallize some perspective that can perhaps only happen when it is welcomed out by an inquiring collective voice or not let's see but there's something in there that's sort of the experiment and it seems like an interesting way to sort of connect with others from different communities and networks and to to get to know them but to also create the conditions in which more people can be in participation with a different kind of structure. And so we won't go in order or anything like that, but it's very much a, a many bouncing things off to a one and then back out to the many. But the hope is to work with the threads that come through. And so in that sense, the participation from all of us is invited to be in touch with that as a, as a dialogical process while at the same time tuning into your own interest, making the most of the opportunity, whether to ask a question or point in a particular direction, even if perhaps it's a little bit disjunctive from the flow, is also welcome, just in that sense of this as an opportunity to ask what matters. And maybe that is not always afforded by a particular direction, which I have come up with on this occasion, something Bruce inquired about, you know, was there going to be a particular set of themes? Something in there is where I'm going to begin. And in a sense, it's coincidental that the title of this session is Elder Circle, because this is in fact a question about in some important sense, the nature of elderhood. And it's on the face of it, just a simple one. And I'm curious to hear Bruce in how do you understand what elderhood means and how has that as a 
energy as a possibility as a responsibility developed at all in your life and perhaps in what way has your journey as a being unfolded into something which has us here sort of inquiring this of you because that's not a coincidence i think yeah i appreciate the question and i appreciate the invitation to be here i was sitting in sausalito on a lake a couple nights ago talking to someone who is my elder and we were talking about the importance of community and of meeting together in ways like this um even better in person and really reflecting on what has set us on particular trajectories that have you know led to where we are right now and uh i've been confronted recently with this question of elderhood in attending some retreats and some other events where I found myself being regarded there as an elder to my surprise. And while I'm surrounded by others that I look to as elders and as guides in some way, I found myself being received by some others as an elder within those circles. And that's been a negotiation for me to think about what does that mean? How can I uh, embody that in a way that makes sense to me? And, you know, obviously, the world is changing so quickly right now, and almost nobody really is in a place to stay fully on top of what's unfolding and changing with all the shifts happening technologically and culturally and historically. I mean, there's a lot that's unfolding at once, and I think it's going to amplify, and I think we're going to enter stranger and stranger territory. So I've really been thinking about what does it mean to be an elder? in a way that that makes sense to me in a time like this where just having you know an accumulation of years behind you is definitely not enough and in fact um because of the rapid change uh and and the tendency to get disconnected as we get older from uh some of the the leading edge things that are on un unfolding um, there's the possibility for the elder, and, and we experience it so often in this, you know, industrialized Western culture that the the elders are typically um, indulged, but out of touch. It's we don't really know where to look to find very many wisdom holders. It's harder to find. So, one of the things that makes sense to me really is. And something that I would aspire to, um, as as you know, I I do cross <laughs> into the sixties in a few years and and beyond. Uh, for me, what it means to be an elder would be. It doesn't come with the territory of age. To me, it's a it, it would involve, in part, a quality of inhabiting time. Uh, a quality of, enfolding and inhabiting space and ways of knowing um, to be a field in which time ripens and grows transparent to itself to the degree that you can hold and embody and allow for that that 
there's something I think in the growing detachment from typical expected roles and obligations that elders have, they can afford to enter a different kind of space and a way of being that I believe can more easily and readily slip outside of expectation and become an occasion for, yes, uh, time in its richness and fullness to flower in some way. And one of the ways that I'm thinking about that is um, almost in reaction to something that I found as a tendency in myself, which is in some circles that I've been in recently, I've found myself in the role of saying something like, well, this is really interesting what you're talking about, but don't you know a lot of people were working on this 10 and 15 and 20 and 30 years ago? And there's a sense of being uh, both out of step with what's happening now, but also frustrated that what's happening now is out of step with what's been unfolding in a rich way um, and out of sight of um of you know people who might be you know thinking that they're on top of the next new thing and i don't think that's a really skillful role to play at least the way that i felt myself repeating <laughs> that in certain contexts don't you know that this has already been worked on the last couple of decades that doesn't make sense to me really because whatever's emerging now is emerging out of the whole field and you know um i think what an elder can do is uh as much as possible, try to embody and inhabit uh, the, the span of time that they've inhabited in a way that can resonate from all of those layers and depths with what's emerging now and through story, through pointing, through questioning, through listening, um, thread some of those things together in a way that uh, both holds what's emerging and phrase the edges of it in a way that it can be informed by and opened to what's unexpected within the present unfolding world space. I don't know if that's making sense, but. So just to open and clarify the space here, I'm interested to allow this one to settle into silence and then for anyone to step forth with a response or a way they'd like to take this on i'll give it a little bit of time and if not then i'll pick i'll pick it up so i'd just like to open it out thank you bruce i think that's a really awesome way to begin well one thing that comes through very much beckoning for me here is the notion of time. Can I ask you, Bruce, have there been experiences in your life, whether through practice, whether through some sort of peak, and 
that might range across tragedy through ecstasis could be colored in a number of ways have there been experiences that you can recollect as shaping your experience of time some people think about for instance a kind of deep time you might think of flow might think of those durations of tremendous significance where perhaps one gleans a sense of connectedness and interdependency which otherwise might elude perception but perhaps in attending to that deep sense of the whether we want to say infinite or eternal poetically the sort of sense in which you can look at someone and sometimes see an image of them as a young person and an old person and you can perhaps see yourself in them or see yourself in a reflection resonating back to you the many different forked paths your life could take or perhaps one day will and so all of a sudden you stand there before tremendous possibility and also the recognition of impermanence in a very deep sense yet made living in such an interesting way because whether here we are with others in nature or perhaps around a table well we've got to go step by step and find that next word and it all seems to be happening in some sort of linear progression i'm sort of just speaking to this to ask if you could share perhaps any experiences or perhaps learnings which have shaped any change in your relationship to time that incorporate this phenomenological component if that's at all relevant it is I think there have been you know, multiple moments of what I might call a nuclear time, a time that enfolds uh, past and future into a fullness, into a kind of effulgent presence. I've told before. On, on in some conversations uh, when I was young in high school there were a series of deaths and tragedies that took place uh, very many people who were close to me died within a span of a year and I had a lot of difficulty in my home too with my mother's remarriage it was a bad remarriage and a dangerous person so there was a great deal of disruption in my life at that time. A lot of what I had held on to as my character and what I trusted about the stability of the world had frayed and fallen apart. And I was really deeply challenged by that and embittered. I was filled with a lot of anger and I was really closed up in the face of what felt like a constant string of assaults from the universe, right? And a friend's mother noticed what had happened to me, seen the change in my character, 
called me out one evening to sit with her by a lake in the rain and just describe what was happening. And I don't know what moved her, but she offered to send me on a retreat to another state to just get out of the toxic atmosphere of that whole situation. And I was able to go up to the California mountains. I was living in Texas at that time. And I went up to the California mountains for the full first time and encountered such a pristine stillness and overflowing presence from the mountains, from the lakes, from the clear, the water and the sky that confronted with me with myself in such a clear way that I could see my own self-involvement, my own ongoing acts of decision that were leading to the knotted way of being I had come to inhabit at that point, a very defensive, ready to <laughs> fight anything, um, very hurt by the world and uh, ready to give up. But I could also see that 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 deep clenching was, at the time, I saw it as like a hangnail that's growing in and harming itself, that I, I could feel myself looping in and wounding myself by the posture I was taking in the face of what the universe had given me. And I just saw that my decision at that point was, do I want to keep growing in in that way? Or do I want to somehow make myself able to receive the fullness of the presence that is here and that is confronting me? And that became a decisional moment for me that folded in. There were, for me, there was a sense of archetypal participation in time. There were different events that happened to me that seemed to mirror archetypal stories, different kinds of wounds I received and different things that happened that made me feel plugged into a huge human history, not just my biography. I could feel myself participating in a big story. And it wasn't in, uh, you know, I for me, it wasn't held or I wasn't experiencing it in a narcissistic way, like, oh, I'm so special, I'm part of this. It was more like awe, like, wow, there's something really moving here, and I'm I'm blown away by it. And so in that moment, there was an encounter with a way of responding narrowly, event to event to event that led me to an enclosure and a self-enclosure and a self-wounding and an encounter with a different mode of time that folded in the multiplicity of becomings of, of everything all around me that was in such coherence, it was liberating to be in the face of it. And so that experience of that full time of the earth was one that really pierced my heart and it, it 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 hit me with a clear kind of vision. I remember going back to Texas after the trip and being able to look in the mirror and see that there was no light 
in my eyes, that they they were completely shut. And it became a practice to watch and gaze into my own eyes until I could begin to see some flicker of soul again. And that started me on a long journey of contemplative practice and seeking through many different paths and travels around the world. Um, but that's where it started. And there were later experiences along the way, um, visionary experiences, confrontations with death, other kinds of things that happened that, again, I think confronted me with a sense of time that things were moving and coordinating in a way that was well beyond any of the, um, you know, the, 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 the single or double loop um, modes of awareness um, that typically constituted my ego's way of making its way in the world, right? That there was something else and something fuller. And so, you know, in my description of an elder being a place where time can ripen, of course, I don't mean in any way to claim that that only hope happens for older people. Um, I think it starts to happen at any point in our lives. Um, but I think an elder can serve society if they recognize that movement and in the affordances that society gives you in that phase of your life, that latter ashrama, you can begin to more consciously embody and enact that for others and for community um, to the degree that you're able. Thank you. It's a beautiful response. Thank you for that, Bruce. That was very poetic. I was really feeling the pregnancy of the presence that you were pointing to, and perhaps also the way that that ripeness is coming equally from the present, but also the ability to reach back through the tendrils into the past and project into the future and sort of draw on the potentiality found there. And it really struck me what you were saying about this sort of seeing past each other between sort of older people who may have experienced efforts in these spaces before versus sort of maybe younger people or people who are sort of reinventing things as if they are new innovations. And I'm wondering for you, what things would you like to see brought forward from the past efforts into these efforts on the edge? Like what kinds of qualities? And could I add in here, if Bruce, you could also respond to the arena or what is it for someone who might be listening into this without perhaps as much background knowledge of these things you'd like to see potentially, you know, brought forward broadly? What are we speaking about here? What do you find yourself to be involved in such a, that is the context in which this question is, is asked? Yeah, good questions, both of you. Thank you. 
Um, one of the things that I've noticed myself is, of course, we all do this, right? And so while I can sit in a place right now, having experienced myself working through certain kinds of materials and perspectives over many years with a lot of different communities, at that time, too, while we were really full of the sense of discovering something really new, we were probably also doing what I am seeing now, which is actually missing <laughs> what had just been done to prepare the ground and the soil for the kind of inquiry that we were unfolding, right? And so I think that's a continual thing, and it's just part of the, the natural disjunction of the generations. Um, and, you know, I think that's part of a, there's maybe something timeless about that, and that part of the the task of every generation is to to work with those disjunctions in in as wise and flexible ways as possible. But for instance, you know, uh, in in what is emerging in meta modern circles or um, certain you know new emergent spiritual movements or um, different. Uh, political or regenerative types of movements. There's a lot of wonderful stuff going on right now. And one, it's indebted to a lot of work that was done, you know, through uh, other thinkers under other names, like the, you know, for me, I've been involved in Integral. So I've noticed how much metamodernism is doing that actually is, you know, uh, deeply resonant with, drawing from, and, you know, not always acknowledging the work that Integral had done, but Integral itself was not a new creation. It was a, it was just a particular weaving of a lot of things that had come before. And I see someone like John Verveke, um so regularly and consistently looking at any kind of new development that's unfolding in the areas of reflection on AI and consciousness, or in metamodernism, or in integral things, he very reliably will point that back to, uh, you know, Neoplatonism, right? And others, somebody like Benita Roy might say, well, yes, yes, all of that can be found in Neoplatonism, but why are you overlooking <laughs> what actually was so beautifully flowering in the pre-Socratics, or, um, you know, or in the Bund tradition, or, you know, we, we can look in many different directions. And so um, that's one of my thoughts around the importance of the uh, transparency to time and to use elderhood in a good way is as, as Jung did, um, you know, he engaged in that deep archeological process to find the deep resonant roots of the forms of meaning making that emerge for contemporary people um, that span history and that there is a newness and that there's an ancientness um, to a lot of the different movements. You know, an inspiration for me in some of my thinking and writing is Peter Sloterdijk. And Peter Sloterdijk has some very interesting uh, projects that he, different trajectories he's followed with the, you must change your life or his spheres trilogy or other things. But one of the things that one of the moves that he's made, for instance, is 
in really thinking the depth of psychotherapy, thinking, you know, what is some of the cutting edge uh, perspectives emerging um, in contemporary intersubjective psychology or Lacanian thought or other things. He's looking back to deep theological roots, and he's not looking to theology to resurrect any kind of old religious belief system, but to see in those theological wrestlings um, a thousand years ago or more deep encounters with structures of self and other um, modes of consciousness, modes of perception, modes of being together that people were already enacting and working through in a different context. And, you know, for instance, something like uh, the Trinitarian perichoresis and understanding how the persons of the Godhead um, interrelate with each other um, in what's unfolding now in contemporary um, psychoanalysis, uh, we can see uh, that some of our self-sense and the sense of the co-generation of self and other and the co-participation of self and other um, in emergent process uh, has deep roots in, in, you know, ancient theological thought. And of course, it doesn't only trace back to the West, it can trace back to the East and into indigenous cultures. Um, so again, there's that, there's that exercise of time transparency of really opening yourself to um, those movements as they've unfolded in different ways in different periods and allowing yourself to, I think, um, appreciatively digest them can enrich whatever is truly newly emergent um, and connect it. You know, I think, I mean, I, I'm not saying anything new with that, um, but I think it's a practice that we, we need to be mindful of and, and, and to work on. Maybe I could just briefly follow up from your particular vantage point and all of your subjective experience, do you have any intuitions around things that you're seeing that might have a particular kind of lack that you'd like to see responded to? And again, it, I'm hesitating around that because I'm mindful of what might be a lack in actuality versus what might be a what might appear to be a lack just because it's not acknowledging or enfolding some of my favorite examples of that. And you know, so I think there's always it's always good to be humble around that question. Um, but for instance, you know, there's a lot of work going on in you know dialogue these days and in dialogical circles, which I think is really valuable and important. And you know, it's one of the things I really value voicecraft for as an ongoing experiment and really working deeply in this field of the intersubjective and the sensitivity to the between um, where, where meaning unfolds, right? Um, so I really appreciate that. Uh, but for me in, um, you know, in, in 
some of the the circles that I encounter, especially around, um, you know, uh, dialogical process in various communities, I think there is, for instance, so much richness in uh, what David Bohm initiated, and actually what that has unfolded over decades since he started to do that within narrow communities of practice, but that don't seem to have reverberated out. And so I feel something missing sometimes. Uh, there's a, you know, such a, a, a real deep embodied sensitivity. Um, I can get into some of the, the particulars of that later if you'd like, but uh, that I really appreciate and that I, I wish was more widely known and accessed and worked with. And, and similarly, someone like Raimon Panikar, um, he's a little bit of a difficult and dense read, but what he's done in the field of intercultural and interfaith um, and intergenerational encounter and mediation across topological spaces of, of, of meaning and self-world constellations, it's so deep and rich and in my views of, of what I encounter in the field, you know, the resources that are there in, in those communities of practice are, are really things that I would love to see flowering more within integral and metamodern spaces, and they're not, right? Um, so those are some examples. I don't know if, that, if you were looking for that kind of specificity, specificity or not. Yeah, that's really interesting. Thank you. I'd love to follow up on that at some point, but I'll leave the space open. Okay. Well, there is a a question here that opens up to a space that I have a sense would be really valuable to explore together and to ask you to share on it, Bruce. I did mention it to you previously. I know you have experience participating in, observing, developing relationships with people who have had closer experiences in the context. Some of the contexts I'm about to point to, but perhaps a broad way to broach into the domain is to recognize that in some spiritual religious lineages the emphasis on teacher or guru is paramount when it comes to the transmission of particular teachings and learnings as they relate not only to knowledge, but in some important sense, self-knowledge and realization in that sense of trans transformed identity and perhaps more expansive, we might say, touch with the patterns that we are and that which comprise us in a similar manner to the way in which you shared perspective of in your earlier recollection of your experience of time and how that transitioned 
but in some lineage we have a lot of emphasis on guru and teacher and others perhaps not quite in the same way now in the context of perhaps modern communities of practice with respect to some of these dynamics that have been involved with or at least have been in ecological touch with integral theory and what have you there are a number of teachers as gurus who have stepped on the line of controversy in ways that I think present a a lot of different learnings and encountered a certain kind of um, I'm, I'm trying looking for for language that isn't so structural but sort of there have been certain failure modes certain failings it seems of efforts to develop and build communities into cultures where a certain kind of spiritual development is a core part of that reason for being together that have involved notable gurus and what have you and i'm curious about your observation of this phenomena over time and what your thoughts are on the role of guru as teacher in that sense when it comes to self-understanding and what perhaps you might like to share as particular instances where that type of dynamic graduates into something or perhaps begins as something but we might say as well graduates into something which is self-defeating with respect to that in principle more fundamental goal of enabling more vital contexts for becoming in terms of both people and their connection with the broader world yeah, that's a, a rich question on our you know my youtube channel um we had a series on transmission um, called fire from heaven just looking at the question of what is spiritual transmission and is it necessary um is it just you know a holdover from you know an an older social form of organization and and uh encrusted authority or is there something to it that goes beyond that and my sense is one there is something very deep and real and important about transmission person to person field to field um that is transformative and real and we should not neglect it um i think we're in a place sociologically that we are looking for a new way to enact that the older typically patriarchal structure for doing that. Um, it can still work for some personality types and some people, but I don't think broadly in our time, it's the vehicle that's going to serve the most people. So I think we need new ways of doing that. I don't think it necessarily always involves immediate 
in-person contact with the other for there to be some kind of transmission that happens. And I say that in part because two of the strongest mystical experiences that I've had that were life-changing and reorienting for me, both were initiatory type events, encounters with other beings in which there was a transmissive element and a deep wordless uh, communication. Um, and that led to some fundamental insights and reorientations. And those happened in visionary states for me, non-psychedelic, just in, in lucid dream visionary states. And they arose out of contexts of deep practice and seeking at a time, but they did not come from expected corners. It's not like I was imagining somebody and then they showed up in my dream. It was, I'm working in a particular way in the, in, in my own consciousness and intelligences came forward to show me something that were not necessarily rooted in any tradition I was orienting towards. So in other words, I felt that there, there was a kind of transmission that took place that I feel comfortable calling real. Um, I don't know who or what exactly I encountered, but to me that I'm just looking at it as a, an example of uh, the reality and importance of that kind of trans-symbolic, trans-linguistic, uh, more full-bodied contact with another way of being that um, using one of Panikkar's words that, you know, following the imperative method, if you allow that to pierce into you, to seed and fecundate your being, there's there's a change, right? Um, so I think that process is real. And I think a task that's in front of us now is to create vehicles and generative enclosures where there are possibilities for those kinds of encounters and that where it's possible, it, it does make sense to me and, and it's worth seeking out to be in proximity with people who inhabit their own being in a deeper way than most, because that does communicate, that does transmit. And so I think we should find ways to honor that, um, that are mindful of the abuses and the shortcomings um, that have marred so many communities. So I, you know, I don't, I think the integral community has failed. Um, and I, I'm not aware of any community that's really found a way to do it yet. And I don't know exactly the way to do it either. Um, I think, you know, in, in terms of, integral itself, since I've been involved with that movement for a long time. There are definitely some beautiful teachers that have been associated with it that I really respect, um, some who have been controversial and who I think um, until they actually own in a fuller way, in a way that actually just shows some basic psychological intelligence and authenticity, um, own their own part in the heart that they in the harm that they've played 
for others um, don't really, in my view, merit too much taking seriously right now or, you know, um, being approached as teachers, except by those willing to take the the great risks that will come with that, um, but not to be propped up by community. And others, um, you know, I feel have made mistakes and to some degree um, recognize that and are attempting to make up for that. And, you know, you know, I respect that. I welcome that. You know, I, I will pay my, uh, I will give support, you know, to anyone moving in that direction. So I'm speaking vaguely, and I don't know if I should speak more specifically or not, if it's going to be helpful. Um, uh, and I don't know, I've, I've kind of talked around what you asked, but it's a little bit of a complex and subtle question. I, I think transmission's real. I think it doesn't require, you know, infleshed, you know, contact with another person. It can happen in other ways, but when it is embodied and in person and in community, it is very beautiful and empowering, and uh, it's worth cultivating and preserving that as part of our deep, long spiritual heritage, and to find ways um, to to honor those translinguistic and, 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 you know, uh, communications of a gestalt of being, um, we, we need to find ways that that that's part of our ways of growing each other up, um, and to create contexts and enclosures that those kind of things can happen in a way that makes sense in our time. Could I maybe ask, uh, why do you think, you said you, you feel like the integral uh, crowd failed. Uh, why do you think that is? And like, in hindsight, is there anything that they could have done differently to be successful? It's a good question. Um, we did have a discussion on my channel a year or two ago about what integral has not done well and looking at some of the missteps um, along the way. Um, I think in part, it's easy to just get deceived by the feeling of being the next thing. We've got something good going here. We're all excited. We're all feeding each other with our enthusiasm for everybody's gifts and easy to lose sight of the, the potential for self-inflation um, that goes with all of that activity. And I think one of the things that I even though um, integral theory uh, wanted to create a trans path path in which it opened up dialogically with um, other groups and other practitioners, to me, it did not do that in the difficult, rooted, raw, existentially contactful way um, that I could see exemplified in the um you know the uh the society for intermonastic dialogue that exists that's going on quietly and behind the scenes um or the work that um Raimon Panikar helped to facilitate or sometimes people with the the global dialogue institute have helped to facilitate um where you put people from radically different communities 
into a same living space together for a time and really have to grow through that kind of encounter and meet each other in real ways across the topological boundaries and and, and, and practice together. I think one of the things that Integral did is it looked for too many of its twins (laughs) within um, so-called alternate communities, but they were really people, they, they were just um, you know, integralists within a slightly different costume and that didn't really encounter involve a risky encounter with other. Um, so I think there was in some way a kind of insularity in the way that integral moved within spiritual spaces and it kept itself protected um, by dealing mostly with those who already agree. Um, and so I think that's one reason why it didn't really take the roots that it needed to take. Thanks for um, speaking on all that you've spoken to so far, Bruce, and um, going towards the integral community as exemplary of the breakdown of an intention to expand on what was a traditionally one-to-one transmittive process of spiritual what development maybe um i want to go back to something about time and how integral theory sought to be a vehicle for bringing many more to a kind of timefulness where if we're continuing on with this notion of elderhood as being across time or through time in some sort of like collapse of many times towards some simultaneous inhabitants, I'm getting really um, clunky with my words because I don't really know how to speak to it. But like, I'm definitely hearing you in this conversation being like, okay, that's a thing for sure. Um, maybe, maybe I want to introduce, I guess, the opposite of elderhood in, in what the responsibilities of the youth might be to kind of be that which is always reviving the wisdom of the elders and the way you're pointing out how that doesn't happen. And it's almost like a necessity for the youth to be in its own folly. Hmm. But even still like, and this is like a direct question. So like you can continue on with this like vagueness because Obviously, there is no direct answer, but like something about what's this responsibility that the youth has to allowing elderhood to actually be everything that we've spoken to about it so far. In Dzogchen tradition, there's the image of a elderly woman sitting in a chair looking out the window at kids playing under trees with the dog running around. 
And that elderly woman looking out the window at the kids under the trees is is the the wisdom place for in, in Dzogchen, um, where she has, in some part, established a field in which it's safe for the the kids and the animals to play in freedom, um, while they're also always at risk. Um, but there's an establishment of a field there, and she can look at it in appreciation without a needing to be directly involved in that. And I mean, there are just very simple things, you know, of, of the youth having a responsibility to respect the holding space that has been provided for them um, in which they can do that exploration and play. There are a few images on my mind that I, that are, I'm not sure how well they'll, they'll weave together into this overall answer, but I'm going to try it, right? You know, I've, I've just got these images, one uh, of a, you know, vegetal kind of images. You know, there's, on the one hand, there's a seed where there's like the sprout that's pushing against the seed and, and looking to break the container and move out into new space and establish a new form of being. And so there's that, there's that's a vital thing. That's a very important thing to be happening. And then there's a phase where there's the the rooting. There's an establishing of a you know of uh, the place where you're going to grow, and there's a rooting and there's a flourishing um, in that space. And that's you know the the youth and the you know the and the adulthood really where that's that's established. And the I see in part the elderhood as more like the 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 whole ecological space that it, it it's less it's more ethereal in a sense and it's also more earthy and grounded and it's like it, it it's it's to be the whole field that allows for the ripening and the movement of those things through its own transparency its own kenosis its own self-emptying into um into that into the into that movement i'm seeing the you know the elder not as something given but as something that any person can grow into um as inhabiting what a time space knowledge calls agnosis of being an agnostic that's ek not ag agnostic or agnosis which is uh, a movement of inward outward knowing at once that there is a attunement and sensitivity to the inwardness of knowledge and a connection to the outward at the same time um so that there's a you know john verbeke would call it transjective right where there's there's a mode of knowing in which the the inner and the outer are seen to be in constant creative interplay and elderhood, in some sense, is, I feel, trying to enact a generative enclosure, a nurturing space that allows for that transjective interplay, that inner and outer, outer knowing to, um, to move together optimally. It seems to me that 
Mm. And elder, if we can make place, if we can make place in our society for, for this role, mm. I'm hesitating here because in trying to explain it, I feel myself called into a way that sounds like I'm wanting to engineer it in some way. And it's not that, right? It's not something that's engineered. Um, it's something that, you know, in some ways, you know, is already present. And there's, you know, there are just ways that it can be, it can be done in a fuller and more, you know, um, in fuller awareness and or at least in fuller uh potential for for flowering the you know the as coming back to kind of what we were saying at the beginning the in, in especially for everybody now but but especially for elders there's not any way that they can be expected to keep up with the contents that the world is generating in terms of the world and terms of the content, but there, there, there are qualities that can be embodied and enacted uh, that, you know, in, in the, uh, I'm seeing this kind of dialogical role. Um, so, you know, in, in David Bohm's work, he talks about suspension of thought, right? And suspension of thought is not slowing it's not stopping thought it's not stopping thought in the midst of you know an exchange but it's slowing thought down enough so that you can see it in play and see what assumptions are involved in it see what beliefs that carry a force of necessity are being carried along a particular trajectory of meaning making and sharing and slowing thought down enough that that becomes clarified, that 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 there's the possibility of insight into that movement and into those unnecessary preconditions for the movement of meaning and the flow and exchange of meaning, that something new is afforded, something new can be afforded in that insight. And to me, the elder, in their slower waiting role, in their agnostic role, in their transjective role, can serve as facilitators of the suspension of thought in the dynamic creative movement of the youth, right? There's a, there's a, a wonderful vitality in that creative movement of the youth creating something new. But to me, the elder kind of creates a space that while it allows and while it appreciates and celebrates that creativity also serves a slowing function, serves a suspending function that if they've embodied their, if they've embodied time in a, in, in a transparent way, if they have begun, you know, if they've learned to inhabit that they can serve as a, a sounding board, as a field um, that helps illuminate those movements in a way um, that 
archaeologically traces the connections that are there, but also especially identifies the assumptions and the things that carry the force of necessity that's, that's present in a particular movement, so that that is a generative role in the overall dynamic of any situation, even any youthful situation. In connecting that to the guru, um, the, the Tibetan tradition has a way of talking about every single moment that unfolds phenomenologically, moment by moment, involves the a student, an event, a guru, and a situation. And any moment, it doesn't mean that that guru is another person, it, you know, but they would say the, the micro the micro analysis of any phenomenological mo momentary unfolding, popping out of the void and going back, it always unfolds in that constellation of the arena, the event, the learner, and the and, and the in the in the pointer, right? And we can find those dimensions in ourselves. And so, to me, an understanding of integral elderhood is to recognize that dynamic interplay that's in the unfolding of every moment and and the dialectical play between those who suspend the thought and those who are rushing forward with creativity, um, that they're both generatively working together, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. It does. I'm feeling quite a lot of enthusiasm to respond at length here which I won't do and we'll just have to say you know I suppose to to ask for some trust that what you've shared is heard and in some sense I'm, I'm integrating I feel we're integrating it at different levels here and the context that we can be a part of. Partly I say that because these dynamics that you've articulated in one sense, a creative enthusiasm as something seeking to go beyond, use forward, but some movement out. And then a reflective awareness, a slowing down that seeks to recognize perhaps what is and then perhaps what is not to use a metaphor here in perhaps a kind of effective biodynamic alignment there might be a lot of fat or inefficiency or unhelpful movement in the pursuit of some direction with an orientation that is good but perhaps there's a lot of wasted energy in some sense, or perhaps counterproductive energy in that particular movement. And these dynamics with respect to what it is to participate in conversation, I certainly hope that and have found in many contexts I've been a part of that we can attune to this dialogical process as a sort of quality of the field of participation itself, because of course it's not often and perhaps very rare, in fact, that you might have 
costumed in a particular role made explicit some elder playing that position and in general my approach to these dynamics has been to in some sense push a little here modulate a little bit there to support these dynamical processes to become present embodied non-specifically but of course needing to be realized by particular persons nevertheless i think there's something also very interesting about explicit roles as well it's just that in the context of people coming together and communities coming into formation particularly in a context where as much as it might be really worthwhile like deeply worthwhile to learn about and be aware of the many instances in the past of great teachers great schools of thought and communities that have done a lot of work this itself is with respect to the general population a, a rarefied kind of knowledge and yet the interest and orientation to gather and in some sense discover and realize often what is held already or not as a kind of embodied understanding of what can be pointed to whether through Bohmian dialogue or whatever philosophical articulation well it's not always possible and yet there has to be a dignification of whoever is stepping into relationality or finding themselves in relationality with themselves to nevertheless be and to participate and to become and all of that and so there is a sense in which i guess i'm partly reflecting that i'm hearing a lot of really you know articulate pointing to dynamics in interaction which are helpful for thinking individually and collectively that we can understand beyond the context of particular elders and particular youths and can in fact be with these energies so i guess first of all you know thank you for that and there's so many things i'd love to double click on in there and then there's this other part of me and i'm not going to complete this thought and we'll just leave it to see if anybody else wants to take it on or we can go a different direction which is there's something compensatory where i'm wanting to perhaps to speak towards where that which professes itself or at least energetically presences itself as a sort of authority in a space that may or may not be confused with elderhood what are some of these dynamics like and perhaps with respect to cultural patterns more broadly more broadly when i think you know as i have done with a number of people before recognize and make arguments as to the lack of intergenerational transmission and in some important sense support for that youthful orientation that youthful orientation into a kind of developmental process that's seeking to live a life in which elderhood becomes possible because as you've said and as we've said on elder circle a number of times you know older does not equal elder there are 
course, plenty of older people and um, and many of those older people have uh, the vast majority of the wealth. <laughs> and a lot of that wealth has been garnered by means that have not always and perhaps perhaps on the systemic scale rarely been conscious of the necessity for reseeding and perhaps even acknowledging often the deep generator of wealth that is the broader ecology that has made possible the extraction of energy in a number of different ways that then is transmuted in throughout different economical processes. And so we have this unique situation in which older at this point has a tremendous responsibility for orienting. And of course, it's not just older, we've got to talk about market process systems. I know there's a lot of complexity to this. But nevertheless, we are in a situation where older that is not necessarily elder, although there are many, you know, in absolute numbers is, is, you know, faced with this predicament, if they are to become aware of it, of the necessity of orienting perhaps as much wealth as has ever been possessed. <laughs> and so what is it about um, older that takes itself perhaps to be elder with respect to its in, in authority in a space that mistakenly does so? What can we be aware of here? Yeah, a lot of ways to, to look at it. I mean, I think, of course, there's just the inertia of, you know, having privilege and um, doing whatever you can to just keep it, right? Um, I mean, I think we can see it developmentally um, that at some stages of our thinking and meaning making and self-organizing, it's more external. And so older and more equals power and authority. And we just, we follow that. Um, and obviously that's not what we're talking about here in terms of the, the subtle dimensions of elderhood, but it's, you know, I think about I mean, I don't know if it's it's veering off too much, but you know, I'm watching. Maybe it's too much of a right angle turn here, but you know, I I'm watching what's unfolding in my wife's country of Nepal, or what's unfolded in Ladakh and other places, uh, where there's the promise. Um, to become part of the world, to connect to the world and draw the benefits from that which is preserved by the, the bigger order, right? And to plug into that to some degree, there's an invitation to be validated by that plugging in and to be given new opportunity and new affordances through that plugging in with the idea that this country is going to grow along its own path, but you can just take advantage of these um, these connections and, and the things that will come with that. But what actually happens is in plugging into those, you know, global networks of exchange and, and um, capital and all of that, and 
the, the inertia, the power, it just overwhelms the smaller system that's tried to plug in and, and draw from it. And it becomes immediately an adjunct to that larger system and loses its own agency. And so, I mean, Nepal is, you know, right now on the very, very edges of total disintegration and, and failure of the state. And um, it's really overwhelmed by um, all of the forces that have moved it um, away from its own center, um, you know, in that process. And so I, I know I'm taking a little bit of a, a turn from what you were saying, but in just thinking about that, um, I mean, there seems to be that there's this inertia about the way that our societies keep duplicating themselves in this way. Um, there are those who hold the power in certain things. And if you want access to that, you know, plug into this, do these things to have that. Um, and the youth usually will think of, I mean, you know, it's the whole thing about what happened with the sixties, you know, and plug into these things to get the advantages. And then once you plug into them, what you thought was your own agency and your own center, that's going to just use those things gets completely absorbed into the broader dynamics and, and, and often overpowered. Right. So it's really, um, it's, it's a disconcerting story. Um, yeah. And to watch that and, and, you know, to think about what do we, you know, something like I'm thinking like um, bio Akalomafe, where he's talking about the need to become lost and the need to kind of like wander away from participation rather than try to working within the system, kind of wander away from involvement in that system in, in some way in order to enact a new possibility. Um, because otherwise it does seem like um, youthful aspiration and, and new visions of a new generative way of being just end up getting observed, <laughs> absorbed into the big machine again and again. Could you perhaps speak more specifically to when elderhood is not or when elderhood goes wrong or what are the aspects of how someone seeking to become in this way does not or mistakes that possibility that perhaps desire to be met by youth in that particular way and enact something that's deeply counterproductive to the health of that context yeah i mean i think there are you know in the educational institutions it's easy to meet elderly people who are so desperate to be relevant to the youth that they try to hold on to their power and their you know their position just by virtue of their age but they try inappropriately to be just like the youth right and i mean there's that's a whole trope in in disney movies and stuff you see the you know the the teacher trying to use that, you know, say, oh, no cap, you know, or whatever. And all the kids are rolling their eyes uh, at the teacher trying to talk in that way. 
Um, so in that way, there's a there's a, just the insecurity of of actually knowing the value of what the elder actually brings. Um, and so there's a holding on to the surface of of you know the the cultural and the social affordances of age and position, but there's no recognition of I think the dynamics that we were talking about that that you know the really the functional dynamics of elderhood that I mean one thing I would like to say you know thinking about that Tibetan metaphor about how every moment contains all those elements and I would say you know those dynamics that we were associating with elderhood earlier on are really fractally enfolded in every um, individual and every communication encounter. Um, those are dynamics and, 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 and aspects of the overall movement of thought and meaning making and sharing that are happening in unconscious or, or semi-conscious or sometimes fully conscious ways. But it seems to me that there's like a, in, in our, in our growing, um, there's, there's a kind of rolling or a turning of the kaleidoscopic sphere of every individual where different aspects of that overall constellation are highlighted at different times and and come forward to play, you know, fuller roles at a particular time and in a particular context. So the elder, well, that that the elder function is present in all of our communicative encounters, you could say. Externally, the, you know, that role can be held more fully by certain individuals. Um in different contexts and elderhood is one. It's not the only one. There can be other roles within an organization where that somebody is doing that role also. So I'm seeing it as a kind of fractal embedment and replication, a holographic reduplication across scales. I think that's the same thing in terms of uh, intercultural, intergenerational encounter. In my integral grammatology, I like to talk about, you know, prepositional philosophy, prepositional orientations really deeply focused on the relational. And one of the prepositional constellations I, I use a lot is within, where it's with and slash and then in. And it's the state of being both together in this way and within one another at the same time, right? So that there's a, uh, you know, we are, you know, I think it's like Bhaskar's sense, each of us, the concrete universal, where we're, we're the individual and we enfold the whole each in our own ways. And so I really feel that elderhood, and, and maybe it's a subtle and it's a difficult thing, the, the prepositional role in meaning making in a sentence, the preposition connects the elements, but it's often invisible or it often recedes to the background in doing, in playing that role. It's like light that presents the objects, but absence itself in the presenting of the objects, right? So the prepositions are, you know, affording um, and, and opening up vector spaces for, for, for different kinds of unfoldings and encounters and things to happen. But they're, in a sense, withdrawing into the background in the very act of doing that. And so for me, I, that's one reason why I relate it to kind of the elder role, where there's both the the, the, the deeply relational connecting, pre-positioning, uh, 
work that that is the it, it, it's kind of an underground work that's being done that's a space making and a space holding and a space cultivating role uh, that by its very nature is not meant to be in the very center calling all the attention it's what affords it's it, it's what gives the gift of light to the nouns and the verbs um, that are doing stuff at any given time in a moment, right? And I think the elder, you know, elders gone, elders gone wild, uh, you know, elders gone bad, um, are the prepositions who've lost their place. You know, they want to be um, the center of the sentence, and in a way that doesn't work anymore, and it breaks down meaning and it breaks down the social relations. Um, because they don't understand the dynamics of the role that they're actually playing. Don't know if that held together. I tried. <laughs> hmm. Yes, absolutely. And I, I see you there, um, Mr. Daniel, and pass it to you in just one moment. Because it's looking like time that we begin to wrap this up. So for the next sort of 10 to 15 minutes or so, let's be conscious of that and the threads we can be with and i'm faced with the very conundrum right now given your articulation of this bruce and in some sense the prepositional role that i should be playing here and it's so interesting because there's part of me that wants to just pull on the thread a little bit of the notion of death which is very much implicated in what you're speaking to without using that word and of course is entirely that which the older are more likely to face. <laughs> and there's certainly, surely, a cultivated relationship with that as a, as a horizon of life is something which makes possible elderhood. And yet I'm facing this situation where do I presence this in a context where we should be closing when it in some sense is the grand note of closure itself. And here I am with that. And so I just want to hit that note, but then I would like to pass it over and we'll see if there's any time for that to be woven in. If not, then there it is. And I look forward to further conversations in many ways. And apart from just finally closing things up in about 10, 12 minutes time, I'll just say thank you pass it over now to Daniel look like you were making a gesture just before and so in the knowing that we don't have too long here in this recorded component and knowing you as we all do the tremendous amount of energy you have to share in this it would be a tremendous feat for you to share this without uh, launching us into uh, three hours of valuable contemplation but perhaps could you share some of what you're reflecting with right now, that would be beautiful. Well, that's very kind of you. And uh, Bruce Alderman, that was magnificent and I appreciate it very much. Um, so I'm quite taken by this distinction between what I will say inhabiting and plugging in. 
and you are bringing to the attention this notion of the eldership as inhabiting. And I will also note that I am strongly of the opinion that if there is not a reclaiming of eldership, then the demographic crisis will continue to split. There will be more and more generationalism. And we see the consequences of this, say, in Japan, where you have so many older people dying every single day in their apartment and nobody knows about it. And then you have younger people that are lost either in, you know, there's all the nihilism, the endless busyness, et cetera, so forth. I'm taken also by that language of inhabiting because it seems to have something to do with this principle of leisure we see Joseph Piper talking about that is the basis of culture and that without it, we're basically doomed because uh, the leisure for Mr. Piper is the place where the human becomes fully human because it is the space not of idleness, but of the festivalness. Now, for the point, I've been quite obsessed lately with understanding what Plato and the Republic means by music. And he's very interesting because he seems to suggest that all education must start with music and gymnastics. I spoke with Tom about this. Music, I do not think, means merely um, new musical notes, but a sense of the whole, a sense of the entirety. Music becomes logic, mathematics, and also music. And music is interesting because when you play a note, you can kind of hear if it works or if it doesn't, you have this weird sense of a whole. And what I'm taking is when you talk about inhabiting, then that seems to be an inhabiting in the music, if you will, or the leisure. There's all these the Sabbath, all these different languages, right? And what's so interesting to me is basically Plato warns that you can't even do education if you don't start with music, because if kids do not start with a sense of the whole, then they're going to, one, not even know why they're learning. They're just going to be all fragmented up, and then they're not going to be intrinsically motivated. So this is what I think is really interesting to me, and I really appreciate this talk because it kind of connects some things for me. Basically, today, we think education is about technical knowledge, about learning how to be good with your tools, learning about techniques. Well, then what can the elders teach us? Because they don't know how to use the laptop like the older person, the younger person does, right? They don't really know anything. And so as a result, why would I go to elder people? They're not going to teach me how to use AI. In fact, they're going to come to me because I'm younger to do AI. And then what ends up happening as a result is we associate being intelligent or knowing what matters with precisely younger in life, which then creates a sort of separation between the younger and older, because the older, the only type of knowledge there is, is in fact plugging in. And what do you plug into? The technology, the economic system. But what's so marvelous about what you're saying about inhabiting, inhabiting is something that you can do now, right? But if younger people do not start off with a sense that education is about inhabiting the music, well, then one, they're going to think learning is about plugging in and then elders have nothing to learn. They have nothing to teach from elders. I was quite fortunate because when I was younger, I had two older gentlemen. I think the language you've brought here of inhabiting is very important because they basically taught me how to inhabit, whether it be my grandfather sitting on the porch, Mr. Dillard sitting in the diner. There was a kind of life is about this sort of inhabiting something as opposed to gaining some sort of technical logic where you can plug in. And so then the elder people always, for me, had something to teach because, of course, they couldn't teach me how to say you know, use my laptop or whatever, but they could indeed teach me how to inhabit something. And I think by focusing on eldership and inhabiting and then having education, I think Plato is correct. It must start with a sense of the music. Well, then you start breaking down this sort of knowledge divide between the younger and the older. And in fact, the younger can see that the older potentially has the inhabiting. And then also, I think, with the economic question that Tim Adlin, and then I'll close because on the time point, is that Older people, too, may struggle to give younger people money because they don't understand what they're doing because they don't understand the technology. But if they understood that younger people were actually working to create places of inhabiting, 
oh, and wait, that's what we do too. There is then a shared intelligibility by which then economic money and lever might actually move because now there's more of an understanding that we're all on the same page of trying to understand the music. I also think that might help with the spreading of Dialogos because if everyone, even the blue collar worker were to actually learn at the beginning that education is about music, I think it's very difficult to enter Dialogos or integral spaces unless you have the shared context of appreciating the music, right? Like people who are willing to enter that space share the music and then it seems kind of random which people share and who know of that music or not but if that was the educational basis that may actually like what you start with like plato is saying that might in actually increase the likelihood of spreading the conditions of dialogos or the willingness of people to enter into these things so to me the connection of the thinking of eldership in terms of this inhabiting of time and then thinking of starting education with a sense of inhabiting then starts breaking down the intelligibility divides between the younger and the older, helps the spreading of music, and perhaps also helps spread a zone of Dialogo's possibility. Um, and so I think I'll just close. I do think there's this lovely line at the end of Dr. Philippe, Philippe Nicholas's uh, poetry collection, where he says that in the past, we had to survive to live well. Today, we must live well to survive. And I think that speaks to learning how to inhabit. And if we don't learn to how to inhabit, if we don't have education that then says, well, the point of learning is that inhabiting, well, then we'll continue to have these demographic, economic, and splitting divides because we're not inhabiting any whole. So all we can possibly end up with is inhabiting fragments. So I appreciate your converse, your uh, your presentation today, Bruce Alderman. It's been wonderful. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate that. And I I resonate deeply with your calling forth of the notion of inhabiting out of what we've been discussing. That's very important to me. Um, for me, uh, a, a lovely way of looking at the Sabbath is carving out a temple in time. That is a way that we can move into a space of leisure. Um, that again, invites a new mode of participating with the whole. Um, and so I, I really as a former Krishnamurti school teacher where leisure was a big part of the whole pedagogical understanding, you there's no real learning. There's no real person-to-person -person encounter. There's no real inquiry without leisure, right? And so that you have to create a space that affords that kind of relaxing into being and into inhabiting the space. Um, I, I gave a class with a Bohmian dialogue uh, pioneer Lee Nickel uh, earlier this year uh, on the Holoflux, Bohmian Holoflux, but my portion of it, I was bringing in all of David Michael Levin's work on inhabiting all of our senses in a new way um, through deepening layers that again opens us up into the participatory play with the music of the whole. And so I, to me that, you know, some of the, the the directions that I want to move with education in the future is along those lines very much. So again, really appreciated what you brought up there. Thank you. So just to open the space now for everyone, if you would like in turn, just to share some closing reflections. You don't have to, just as a way of bowing out of the space. Let's see about doing that. And then back over to Bruce, one final time, and we'll bring it to a close today. I'll just end with a big thank you, Bruce, and not just for today, but for 
the integral stage and just how you show up as a being, because I think you exemplified everything you spoke about today. So thank you for being here with us. Appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Well, Bruce, would you like to share any closing reflections? Just appreciated the opportunity to reflect on these things, to be held in this circle. I'll share this. I don't know how publicly widespread this is, but um, in most of my life, you know, I've I've lived a rather monastic life of uh, no drinking, smoking, anything like that. But uh, after I crossed the line of 50, I started saying what the hell to a lot of different things. So one of them was in the past year, I decided to uh, do some psilocybin journeys. And they've brought me through a number of different things. Um, you know, I value the mystical experiences I've had through contemplation, and those are beautiful, and wonderful things. But what's happened with these journeys, I just wanted to highlight here a couple of things because they relate to some of the very last things that we've been sharing. One is a very, very clear, um, as I'm beginning to look into olderhood, elderhood, very, very clear confrontations with limitation, mortality, death. Um, those things come through very clearly in different messages. And uh, so part of my work this year has been just digesting and processing that. And the juxtaposition of being both unbounded and very, very limited bound <laughs> um, at the same time, uh, connected and supported and utterly alone. You know, I, I feel all of those things at once. And one of the things that really came through in the last session I did, which was only a few days ago, was the importance of community and of being held in brotherhood and sisterhood. Um, in mutuality and of, of exchange and appreciation and just participation and shared meaning in this way that I have made very, very little space for that in my my own life in recent years. There's been a kind of an emptiness around that. I've put out content into the world. I've not participated in intersubjective community space like this a lot. And so that really came forward in the last journey as something that is precious and um, I want more of that in my life. And so I appreciated you bringing this opportunity to me to connect in this way with others um, in a deep way and in a meaningful way. That's been very nourishing to me at this little point where I am in my own unfolding. So thank you. Beautiful. Thank you, Bruce. Yes, it's a, it's a privilege to be here with all of you stepping in to create this context and just to reflect back to you bruce it's just seemed so totally appropriate to invite you into this context and for whatever that's worth to you my sort of perception that it was appropriate to if i can say this to honor you in this way for want of a better word just seemed right as far as such things can be felt through the internet and i do in fact believe they can i think there's actually something unique and 
irreplaceable about the context we have for gathering online. I appreciate the differences that exist in in-person contexts. I'm glad that both exist and it's been awesome to be here with you all. So thank you, Bruce, for bringing this to a close. All right, thank you. Thank you for listening. Voicecraft conversations expand how the world is known. It's about connecting souls and building culture. If you'd like to learn more about the Voicecraft project, you can do so at voicecraft.io. We run online events for a global network and local events in Melbourne, Australia. Check out course offerings at the Voicecraft Academy and become a member of the Voicecraft online community at voicecraft.network.